0: Mark chapter 6. Last week, uh, Chris preached for us, if you weren't here. He preached about how the disciples basically were undergoing discipleship training with Jesus. I mean, we learned a lot about what it means to persevere and to trust Christ both in life and death. Right? So, Mark chapter 6, verse 31. I'll read it, and then I will pray. Mark 6, 31. And he, Jesus, said to them, And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for this really familiar passage of scripture. And we ask, Lord, that you help it to come alive in our eyes. That, Lord, we would see our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, as our shepherd. We ask, Lord, you'd help every person here to be blessed. That, Lord, you would teach us what your word says. We pray this all in the name of our powerful Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, this is a story about feeding the 5,000, right? And I'd be willing to say that probably most of you know this. Um, if you don't know this story from beforehand, that's okay. Now you do. So it's recorded by all four of the Gospels, um, and it's definitely included in every, you know, like, kid Bible or children's ministry curriculum. And there's even, like, a VeggieTales version of it called Lyle the Kindly Viking. I've never seen it, so I don't know if it's good or not, but you have, you know, it's a nice story. You know, Jesus and his disciples, they're enjoying the popular the crowds, they're picnicking on the side of the sea with some miracle food. I mean, cool, right? But what's the story really about? It's not about sharing or giving sacrificially. It's not about being merciful to the poor. It's not about Jesus taking our tiny efforts, like the five loaves and two fish, and multiplying them to his glory. The story is not about those things at all. And to see that, I need to show you two things. Okay, I need to show you first the wilderness and then bread. So first consider the phrase desolate place. It's in our passage three times. And it's also used six times in Mark chapter one. It basically just means the wilderness, right? Like some place where not much is going on, there's not many people. All right. Now think with me, what other place in the Bible have we heard a lot about a particular wilderness? Second thing consider bread right I mean from one perspective this passage is all about food right I mean the disciples don't have time to eat the 5,000 men have no food to eat Jesus gives them bread to eat so I mean it's also there's a good reason why this miracle is called the feeding of the 5,000 right because Jesus fed the people now think of me wilderness and bread Where else in the Bible did a ton of people receive bread in the wilderness by miracle of God Can you think of anything? You know, maybe where the people of God were wandering around for a long time, like 40 years or something, Um, you know, like right after they left a certain very powerful nation after some very, I don't know, 10 plagues. It's the Exodus, right? It's the Exodus. That's no accident. God fed the nation of Israel bread from heaven, manna, in the wilderness right after the Exodus out of Egypt. This is the author of history's handiwork. If we want to understand our passage from Mark chapter six, we must understand the Exodus story because God has actually connected them intentionally. Now in case you've forgotten all your children's ministry lessons, you have no idea what the Exodus is. You have no idea who Moses is. That's totally fine. I'll give you a two sentence recap. Okay. Two sentence recap. God's people were slaves in the land of Egypt and Pharaoh, the King of Egypt would not let his people go. So God by Moses Sent 10 mighty plagues to judge the nation of Egypt, by which he set his people free, guided them for 40 years in the wilderness, and finally brought them safely to the promised land. Now, today, if I were to ask a Christian, what is the greatest display of God's love in the history of the world? The Christian would say, Jesus Christ on the cross. Of course, obvious, right? But if you were to ask a Jew living in Jesus' day before the cross, the same question. They would have said, obviously, it's the exodus for Egypt. That is the greatest display of God's love. Why does that matter? It's because in Mark 6, we get a glimpse of a new exodus. Just like during the old exodus, Jesus is performing miracles of power and might to save his people. Just like during the old exodus, Jesus is bringing his people out into the wilderness in order to teach them about the will of God. Just like during the old exodus and the old wilderness wanderings, Jesus is miraculously providing for the people, giving bread to multiples, to multitudes. The point of this story is that God is again bringing salvation to his people. It's not about sharing. It's not about providing for the poor. It's not about multiplying our efforts. It's about salvation. This time, not through Moses, but through the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. That brings us to our key idea today. Christ is our compassionate shepherd, and we are his sheep. Christ is our compassionate shepherd, and we are his sheep. The first point, we are the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his pasture. Look at verse 31 with me again. And he, Jesus said to him, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest the well. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Remember, Chris preached last week. The disciples are in training, right? They kind of went on this short-term missions trip of sorts to preach, to heal, to cast out demons. It was very busy. So busy that they didn't even have time to eat food because people kept coming and going and just, they were skipping meals all the time. So to care for them, Jesus says, come away with me and let's go on a, a retreat, right? Let's get away from all the people and rest. The 12 disciples are tired, hungry, probably looking forward to not talking to anyone. But then their plans are interrupted. Verse 33. Now many saw them, many people not in the boat, saw the disciples in the boat going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Okay. Apparently news spreads really fast around the Galilee Sea, the Galilean Sea. Many people heard that these followers of Jesus, you know, these miracle workers were on the move. And so they just followed them. Now the Sea of Galilee is actually not that big. Um, it's not like the Mediterranean Sea. You can see straight across it on a clear day. So you can see the boat. Like, oh, look, there's Jesus and his disciples. Just follow that boat, right? And people will be on the shore. It'll be relatively easy. Now, if you were a disciple in that boat, seeing this horde of people following you, right, what would you think? I'd be frustrated. I'd be bothered. Right? Like, man, I just helped these people. Like, leave me alone. Give me like two days to like eat something and just let me enjoy my vacation, right? <laughs> but that's not what Jesus does. In verse 34, when he, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now I wanna focus on the description, sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, have you ever babysat a bunch of toddlers? I'm talking about like the floppy wobbly kind, Um, the ones that are super cute and also like super not good at, I mean, anything, um, except maybe like filling your diapers, right? They can't walk straight, they can't really talk in complete sentences, they can't feed themselves without making a total mess. Uh, They're they're cute and also super helpless, right? Um, They need someone to care for them. Without a parent or an older sibling or a babysitter like you, they're pretty much doomed, right? In a similar way, sheep need someone to care for them. Without a shepherd, they're distressed and dispirited and devastated and, and doomed. Sheep need to be led to pasture, and the clean water. They need to be protected, right? Sheep have no claws, no horns, no fangs. And so if it's sheep versus basically anything, like a lion or a wolf, the sheep the sheep, the sheep is dead, right? Sheep need to be rescued. They fall into ditches and the holes. They wander and get lost. They get injure themselves and even other sheep. They need to be tended. When they're hurt or get sick, they need someone to help bind up their wounds and to tend to their injuries and to make them strong again. Sheep need to be led. They're by nature followers. And without a shepherd, they're completely and utterly lost. There are a few things more pitiful than a toddler without a caretaker. There are a few things more pitiful than a sheep without a shepherd. Sheep need shepherds. Verse 34 says that Jesus saw these people, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. So it forced us to ask the question, well, who can be their shepherd? I and mean, the answer is obvious, isn't it? Who's the one caring for these tired and hungry disciples? Who's the one who sees the mobs of people on the shore and has compassion on them? Who's the one who has been healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing lepers and causing the blind to see? The one who is the shepherd is the one who's already doing the work of a shepherd. It's Jesus. And he is the shepherd of compassion. That's point number two, the shepherd of compassion. So Christ had compassion on this great crowd, right? But I want you to really focus on the word compassion. It's very special. As a pastor named R.C. Sproul says, he says the Greek word translated here, compassion, is used to describe only Jesus in all the New Testament. This was a compassion that reached a level that was far deeper than human concern and empathy for people in pain. What that means is that it's not just, oh, he felt bad, like we feel bad for people that are in need. It's a divine level compassion. It's a Jesus level kind of compassion. It's the divine mercy of God through the incarnate son of God. Remember in previous uh, chapters of Mark, he saw the leper and he was moved with compassion to touch and heal him. He saw the crowds and he says, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. In Mark 9, it says that, the father of a demon-possessed man went up to Jesus and begged him to have compassion on them. In the book of Luke, Jesus saw a woman whose son had just died, and he had compassion on her. Leprosy, lack of food, demon-possession, death, all very earthly, messy issues. God's not a God far off, unaffected by a sin-cursed earth. He's a God who's close. Christ knew these people's sufferings. And he, like no one else could, because only he has a Jesus-level kind of compassion, cared deeply. Christ's compassion is the compassion of God. It's the compassion that sees truly, that knows only as God can know. He sees the same suffering we see. He sees their need for healing. He sees their need for comfort, for pity, for love. But he sees more than we could ever see. He sees our deepest need, as well as all of our other needs. So what do people really need? Healing, food, comfort, joy, security. Uh, i would say, yeah, we really do need those things. But ultimately, people need the same thing that sheep need. People need a shepherd. Jesus saw them and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That means that only Jesus can look out upon these thousands and understand what it really means that they're lost. Now, this, this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is a phrase that's really, really deep in biblical history. I could probably quote like 20 different verses um, to you to prove that to you. But I really just want to quote unquote one. Right? Take your Bible, or in the book of Mark, and go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is one of those books that is, is hard to read, um, even when you're an adult. Just so you don't believe me, ask uh, your, your small group leader. Um, book of Ezekiel. If you can't find it, there's no shame in using the uh, table of contents. It is technically right before the Minor Prophets, so like Daniel, Zechariah, and Um, It's If you're in Jeremiah, you've gone too far, Um, so go forward a little bit. Go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. And we'll be camping out here for a little while, so it's important that you follow along with me, okay? So Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy! And say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. So this is God speaking to these shepherds. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Jump down to verse 9. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop. To their feeding the sheep. Jump down now to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God Behold, I myself, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I jump down to verse 15. I myself, Be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will, declares the Lord God, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the stray, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat, and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. Now jump all the way down to verse 30 at the end of the chapter. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Now, do you see how intensely God loves his sheep? He's not pleased with earthly shepherds. He's angry. He's angry because they have been abusing his people. So he basically fires all of them, right? And he says, I'm going to be the shepherd. Look at verse 15 again. It's the most important verse. He says, I myself will be shepherd of the sheep. God claims them for himself. In verse 31, he says, you are my sheep and I am your God. Now Ezekiel wrote this prophecy in 585 BC. Moses, who led led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, had died long before that. King David, the shepherd boy who turned king, had died long before that. After Ezekiel, hundreds of years passed, but no shepherd of God's people came. And then everything changed when John the Baptist, the messenger of the Lord, comes on the scene and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus comes, being that Lamb of God, and he makes the blind see. He makes the lame walk. He cleanses the lepers. He causes the deaf to hear. He raises the dead and he preaches the gospel to those who are needy. When he comes, he sees the people like sheep without a shepherd. Do you realize what this means? This means that Ezekiel 34 promised that God himself would be the shepherd. And in Mark 6, he's here. God, the shepherd, is here with us. Jesus himself is God. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ is the promised shepherd of Ezekiel 34. He's the shepherd of the sheep who has divine level compassion, right? God level compassion because he is our savior and our God. That's amazing. If you are a Christian here today, that means you're a sheep of God and Jesus is your shepherd. That means he knows everything about you. He knows you deeply, truly, fully. He knows your name. He knows even the number of hairs on your head. He knows your weaknesses, your sins, your strengths, your needs. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He watches over you in love every single moment of your life. He makes you lie down in green pastures of plenty. He makes you to rest by quiet waters for refreshment. He guides you every step of your life. He walks with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. He protects you with the rod of his power. He saves you with the staff of mercy. He laid down his life for you to save you from your sin. He resurrected from the dead so that in him you might live forever. He, your good shepherd, brings you all the way home. This is divine compassion. This is love flowing out of the love of God. Christ loves you as his own because you are his sheep. Everything God brings into your life comes from his love for you. Let me say it again. Everything God brings into your life comes from his love for you ephesians 2 says that god being rich in mercy loved us with a great love so god's love is a great love but john 15 says that jesus basically said that jesus says there's no greater love than this that one laid down his life for his friends and that's exactly what jesus did he laid down his life for his friends so it's not only that god's love is great it's actually the greatest that could ever be displayed but ephesians 3 says the love of christ surpasses knowledge so it's not just that God has the greatest love. It means that his love exceeds the limits of knowledge itself, that it's, it's unfathomable or it's, it's mind blowing. We can't even comprehend all of it. Right? There's an old children's song that goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if you grew up singing that song, you're blessed. But you still have more to learn of Christ's love. His love, the breath, the length, the height, the depth of his love surpasses knowledge, meaning you'll never get all of it. You'll never be wrapped around, around your arms around all of his love for you. As you grow as a Christian, in fact, your capacity to understand this love should actually be greater and greater. Now, think with me again of a, of a toddler. Okay. She's truly loved by her parents, but she doesn't really understand it fully, right? I mean, her parents feed her, they comfort her, they hold her, they say, I love you to her, but she doesn't really know what, what exactly all that means. To her, love is like, okay, I have a full belly, a clean diaper, and a warm hug, great. But as she gets older, she starts grasping a little bit more. She knows what it is to play with her parents, and she knows that they care for her. She's disciplined by them when she does wrong, and she knows that her rules, that the, her parents' rules are for her good. She even starts doing chores, like folding laundry, wiping the table, and she begins to appreciate how much work it takes to run a home. She might not be able to put it into words, but she knows that love is not just a fuzzy feeling. It's, it's something bigger, something deeper. But then she grows up a little bit and she starts playing soccer, hanging out with her friends. And her parents become her personal chauffeur, driving her around, you know, to practices and games and sleepovers and movie nights. Sometime in high school, she gets her license so she can drive herself. And then she discovers how much work it is to drive her little siblings around. She sees that love is not just feelings and spending time together, but also self-sacrifice, costly self-sacrifice. Then a couple years later, she leaves for college. For The first time in her life, a thousand light bulbs come on her head. She never realized how hard it was to cook. And then she thinks my mom cooked every single meal I ever ate. And so she becomes way more thankful for her. She never realized how much discipline it took to just get up in time for class, to go to bed on time, to study for tests. She never even realized how kind her family was to her until all her college roommates tell her how their families are. She never even realized how much her church family loved her, prayed for her, served her. So for the first time in her life, she gets homesick. Love's not just feelings, not just hard work, not just sacrifice, but it's steadfast devotion. Soon she graduates college, gets a job, starts living on her own. And she marvels that her dad went to work every single day and still came home with enough energy to love and care for her. She sees how expensive things are, like rent and food, and cars and insurance and all that grown-up stuff. And she's amazed that her parents generously gave to her way more than the bare minimum. She sees the sacrifice it takes to serve at church, maybe even serving a youth group, and she thanks God for how he loved her through the body of Christ. And fast forwarding a little bit, she finds a faithful Christian guy, she gets married and finally has a child of her own. Now as a wife and a mother, staying up late to feed her own baby, sacrificing all for her precious daughter, she finally starts to understand. She's only beginning to fathom the depths of her parents' love for her. And even more, how Christ has loved her every single step of the way. If you're a Christian, you know the love of God truly. But don't ever for a moment think you know the love of God fully. He has 10,000 things more to reveal. Every year, he's giving you a greater capacity to understand his love for you. We're like toddlers. Yeah, we know that God loves us. We're at the very beginning of our journey of grasping just how great that love is. Every day of your life, he's unveiling greater mercies of his love. And he will continue to do that all the way home to heaven. Even in heaven, we will for eternity be wrapped up in delight at how great his love is for us. Every moment, our song will grow richer with thanksgiving. Every note will crescendo in beauty. Every harmony will swell with greater love because of how great he has loved us. So as you walk through every day, look for the love of your shepherd. When you go to bed tonight, thank God for his love displayed to you, that you got up this morning healthy and strong that you got to learn during school or hang out and not go to school that you can got to talk to friends during youth group even if things are hard like you did poorly on your math test or piano has been frustrating or you're anxious about going back to school in person thank god for his love because he knows and he cares for all of your sufferings we can trust him know the love of your shepherd our lord jesus christ he cares for you with a divine level of compassion, a God level of compassion. He look forward to how he will love you in the future. Right? Look forward to not only how he'll love you in this life, but even in the life to come. Dear Christian, we rest in the love of our great shepherd. If you do not know and trust this Christ, if you don't know him as your shepherd, my friend, you're not a Christian. You don't know this love. You're lost like I once was. You're like a sheep with no shelter, no hiding place, no defender. You're like a helpless toddler with no one to care for you. You're a sinner without hope, without mercy, without love, without God. I mean, think think about it for for just a moment. If I just described you, doesn't it make sense that you feel scared and alone? Doesn't it make sense that you feel like you're lost? Doesn't it make sense that you're anxious and worried and broken and confused? that's what life is like without a shepherd we humans by nature are like sheep our greatest need is for a shepherd for god revealed in jesus christ if you're not a christian the shepherd calls to you and says come to me jesus describes himself like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep but one has wandered off and so he leaves the rest of them to go and find this one wandering sheep and when he finally has found it he puts it on his shoulders and he rejoices bringing that lost sheep home, he cries out to everyone, rejoice with me, for my lost sheep has been found. The shepherd of souls is seeking you out. He's coming for you. He may have every other sheep in his fold already taken care of, happy and satisfied, but because you're lost, he comes searching for you. He's looking in the ditches. He's brushing aside the bushes. He's ascending the mountains. He's peering behind the rocks to try and find you. Why do you hide from him? Listen to him calling. He says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who thirst, and I will give you drink. Come to me, all you who hungry, and I will give you bread. Come to me, all you who are broken, and I will make you whole. For joy, our Lord Jesus Christ seeks out the lost. He longs to find you. He longs to carry you to eternal life and to shout to everyone in heaven, rejoice with me. I found him. I found her, the lost sheep, my beloved sheep, mine forevermore. God himself rejoices when sinners are found. I mean, the God of the Bible, he's not like a reluctant savior. Like, man, I got to save the sinner again. It's just the worst. I hate doing this. No, he's a happy savior. He's a rejoicing savior. He's a zealous God. He wants to save his own. He's a generous God who is extending salvation to everyone who would ever listen to him. He's a lavish God. He blesses far more abundantly. Beyond all we can ask or think, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know the Savior, Christ calls to you. And he says you must repent. By repent, I mean you must turn away from your sin and cry out to the shepherd to be saved. May 1 Peter 2 be true of you. It says, for you were continually straying, wandering like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus Christ is a shepherd. He's God and man. He died on a cross for your sins. He rose from the dead for your salvation. If you trust him alone, you will be forever his. Take him from someone who knows him. Christ is a great shepherd. And as our shepherd, when we come to him, he will teach us. The rest of verse 34 says this. Go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And it says he began to teach them many things. I'll only say one thing here because Mark actually doesn't tell you what he taught them, right? He just says they taught He taught him. Mark's emphasis, not on the teaching, but on the teacher. All those who hear Christ's voice are his sheep. And when they hear him, they obey him. Now let's go to our last point. The miracle of provision, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. An hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But answer them. You give them something to eat, and they said to him, "Shall we go and buy two hundred narii worth of bread and give it to them to eat?" And he said to them, "How many loaves do you have? Go and see." And when they found out, they said, five and two fish." Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups, fifties and by hundreds, by hundreds and by fifties verse 41, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Here, Jesus does basically two things. He teaches the disciples they could do nothing without him, and he miraculously provides for the people, proving that he is the shepherd. Remember, the disciples, they did all those miracles, and Jesus took them away, got on a retreat, the retreats interrupted, and now all these people are here. Right? The disciples still need training. They saw the crowds, they calculated it was impossible to provide for all of them, and they come up with a very logical solution. Tell them to go away. But Jesus turns around and asks them to do the impossible. He says, feed the sheep yourself. And the disciples conclude that, that, that I can't. I can't. That's impossible, And then Jesus does the impossible. He feeds them. The lesson is aptly summarized by John chapter 15, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These disciples of Christ needed to know that as they ministered. The power was not their own. The power was not their own. They would shepherd, they would tend, they would work for Christ's glory, by Christ's power. And after such a dramatic demonstration of what Christ could really do, even even impossible, right? The lesson would have been loud and clear. Um, they actually didn't understand that lesson. We'll talk about that later in, in subsequent chapters of Mark. That's the first thing Jesus does. He teaches disciples they can do nothing without him. Secondly, Jesus provides for the people, right? He takes five bread, two fish, and multiplies it to feed 5,000 men, besides women and children. So that means there are probably 15 to 20,000 people there. And yet they all ate and were satisfied. I don't care how many times you cut a piece of bread, if it's only five loaves, it's not gonna feed 20,000 people. This is not possible, right? There's no explanation for what happened here, except that Jesus did a miracle. Jesus did a miracle. Just like God gave manna and quail to the Israelites in the Sinai wilderness after the Exodus. So Jesus gave bread, and fish to the jews in the galilean wilderness to prove that he is god the shepherd of god had come he was accomplishing a new exodus a new exodus of salvation forming a new people of god so if you remember one thing from the sermon remember this jesus christ is our compassionate shepherd and we are sheep our greatest need is for him he provides for all of our needs. He saves us from eternal death. And he brings us safely home. He cares for you, beloved. He cares for you. He loves you. So trust him. We can trust him. Care with me. Lord God, you alone are God. You have made us and not we ourselves. Help us to know that we are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. We thank you that you raised our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, from the dead, that he cares for us, that he knows everything about us, even our sins, and yet he loves us because we are his. I thank you so much, Father, for this truth. We ask you to be gracious to us. It's in Jesus' perfect name we pray. Amen.